you this morning about a time in the Bible when they celebrated just a little too early. So join me as we pray. God, thanks for today. Thank you for an opportunity to read your word today. You're pretty amazing. Would you help us this morning to see what you have to say about celebrating on time and for the right reason? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Sitting down one more week. My foot's getting better. No more scooter. Glory to Jesus. Uh, so we're excited about that. Um, this week uh, marks a time in the church, Big C, the, the Church Global, in the time of the church that I love, I think, more than most in terms of holidays go. This is what's known as Passion Week or Holy Week. Many of you know it as that, right? I was raised in a Catholic church, and so we would, we would always set celebrate this week. It was usually earmarking the end of Lent, which meant 40 days of some sort of fast, you know, in, in the Catholic Church. But, but literally, it was a moment in this last week when we would take time to really think and ponder what this, this whole salvation narrative was really all about. I think if there's one thing that I, that, that I get frustrated with, with our, our, our Protestant version of church, is that I think sometimes we spend so much time looking for the fresh and the new and the super anointed that we lose sight of the solid, unshakable, and still anointed history. I feel like there's a part of our church history that we chuck out the window because it was then, but we are now. <laughs> and, and, and yet I think we really forfeit a beautiful heritage of some tradition that I really feel like God wants to speak to us in today. Today, in the Holy Week narrative, is what's known as Palm Sunday. I mean, you've heard of Palm Sunday? It's also known as the, what's called the triumphal entry. This is when Jesus came riding into the town and the whole crowd went nuts in lifting him up, in worship, in praise, shouting Hosanna. Literally tens of thousands of people were crammed into Jerusalem at this particular moment. During this time in history, during this week that we celebrate this last week, for the Jewish person, this was when they're getting ready for what they call Passover. Now, if you know anything about Passover, Passover was a foreshadowing of something that happened in the Old Testament to really lay out this picture of what was about to happen in the New Testament in Jesus. In the Passover, every Jewish family was required to bring a, a lamb, a spotless lamb, to, the, to Jerusalem to sacrifice on behalf of their family's sins. So, so literally, get this, there were tens of thousands of people who showed up to the city. And this, this small little city, uh, it wasn't real big, but I mean, there, there were normally several thousand people that lived there. But at this time, there were, there were tens of thousands of people showing up into this little city, bringing animal sacrifices to the temple, literally to be slaughtered. And when they were, they were sacrificed, their blood, literally there was a river of blood flowing from the altar. I mean, it was crazy about how much was going on in terms of this particular time. It's amazing to me how we miss so much in the transaction of what happened. If you have your Bibles, open it up to the book of Luke chapter 19. God, help us to hear what you have to say today in Jesus' name. Luke chapter 19. This being the last week of Jesus on planet Earth, I think it's really important for us to, to kind of get into the picture of what was going on during that time. At this time, you have to understand that Jesus was, for all intents and purposes, 
and again, they would never use these words in those times, but he was kind of a local rock star. I mean, people were about Jesus at that point. People were, I mean, they were not only shouting words to him of praise and worship, but remember, this is Jesus who were, were feeding thousands, at one point 4,000, another point 5,000 people, men it says, so probably up to 15,000 people, feeding all of these people. Jesus was healing the sick. He was uh, bringing people who had blindness to, to sight, and those who were lame were walking uh, deaf were hearing, eyes seeing. I mean, Jesus was like doing all. Can you imagine in this small little moment, this small little place, all that was going on? Jesus showing up, man. He, he was literally a rock star. They loved watching because Jesus was like giving everything that they needed to them, right? So Jesus shows up here. We know this was the last week of Jesus's life on earth. They didn't at that moment know that. So let, let's take a look at the goings on of the Sunday of the last week. One week from this point, Jesus would be raised from the dead. We know that. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 19, verse 29. It says, As they came to the town of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent Jesus sent two disciples ahead. Go into the village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you'll see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord has need of it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying this colt? The disciples simply replied, the Lord has need of it. Pause. Sometimes people, uh, commentators, writers, people who have tried to explain the Bible, have said this particular moment was one of the last miracles that Jesus performed in being able to know somehow, uh, miraculously, that there was a donkey, a colt that was there, never been ridden to be untied. to bring. I don't know if this was a miracle. and I can see it happening, and I can see Jesus knowing that. Great. But to me, that's not the issue. To me, Jesus, listen to this. R remember, when you read your Bibles, slow down. And sometimes we read too fast, and we, 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 we pre-assume the, the message because it's what it is, and it's what we've heard. We know this is the story of what was called the triumphal entry. We know that this is when the crowds went nuts and they waved palm branches and shouted Hosanna. But slow down just long enough to take a picture of the physical words in your Bible. Within, the, within three verses here, in verse, I think it's 30 to 33, we, we see one word that's spoken five times, either to the negative or positive, is the word tie or untie. But when you read your Bible... Think through all of the words. The Bible says every uh, yod and tittle of your, of your Bible is literally spoken of the words of God. L get this. A donkey back then was symbolic of a beast of burden. It wasn't really symbolic. It was really what it did. It carried the burdens of the people. So you would pack all kinds of heavy things on a donkey, and they would bring it where you needed it. They were like a, well, that's where you get the phrase pack mule, right? They would carry your stuff. This is amazing to me because there's a picture here where Jesus tells his disciples, this is the, the, like one of the last moments that Jesus is in on the earth, he, and he says to his disciples, hey, go there to that beast of burden and untie it. I think it's important for us to remember that in a lot of ways, our lives are symbolic of that donkey. So much of our life is wrapped with guilt and worry and anxiety Maybe it's chemical dependency, maybe it's work, maybe it's your self-image that shows up online. I don't know what it is, but oftentimes there's a burden that's wrapped around our lives. 
Listen, if you breathe and blink and you're, you, you got some burdens that you're packing around. In a lot of ways, we, we, our lives are symbolic of, of this donkey. And, and I love the fact that Jesus said in, in like one of his last moments, he says, go, go get that beast of burden and untie it and bring it to me. Now, we know the rest of the story. Jesus rode the donkey into the town, but I, I think there's a message inside this message for us today. Maybe you came here today carrying a burden. Maybe it's your image. Maybe it's your, your frustration with your spouse or lack there. I don't know what it is, but there's something in your life that you're packing around, shame, guilt, fear, and, and you're here today. And I, I'm here to tell you this, that Jesus wants it to be untied and brought to him. Why? So that Jesus can just ride in on top of all your burdens? No, no. Jesus was about to ride these burdens to the cross, literally to remove them, to take them from you. I think so many of us feel bound to our burdens. We're stuck with them. Somehow they become our identity. It's what it's going to, it's going to always be who I am. I'll never shake that thing. I'll always be this way. I'll never get rid of that deal. I'm here to tell you that that's not true at all. Jesus came to set you free. And I love this picture when Jesus, and by the way, you know when, when Jesus was walking through the town or riding through the town with all the shouts and praise and all that business going on, can I tell you that probably most people didn't even see the donkey? You know they were looking for? They were looking for Jesus. See, in a lot of ways, when Jesus comes into our life and literally removes our burdens, it's Jesus that people see, not your burden that you've packed. And he wants us to give that to him. Let's go on, verse 35. So they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their garments over it for him to ride. As he rode, the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him. Pause. It's interesting. It, this is what they would do to royalty. They would put their cloaks on the ground. They would wave palm branches. They would do all that, right? Now remember, in this particular time frame, when, when a warring king would come into town, either going into battle or coming out of battle victorious, they would ride on a white horse, and it would be this this awesome moment of riding in on the great white steed that we did this, right? And when a battle had been won or in a time of peace, a king that came into a nation literally would come in riding on a donkey as to communicate to the people that this is no longer a time of war. This is a time of peace. And so get the picture here. Jesus is riding in and he's, he's coming in and people are shouting, you, you know, man, these people are hoping that Jesus, they think he's the king, they, they see him doing kingish stuff and they're, they're hoping that he, when Jesus shows up, he's going to be riding on a horse. Instead, Jesus shows up and he's riding on a donkey. i got to believe in my mind that there must have been somebody going like, Hosanna, where's the horse? Like, you're riding on a donkey. Peace, come on. I don't know. I mean, it's just me. But I just wonder what went through their minds. Verse 37. When they reached the place where the road had started down the Mount of Olives, all of the followers began to shout and sing, and they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles that they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But for some of the Pharisees among the crowd, they said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. Pause. It's interesting. You know, people have said, Jesus never declared himself to be God. People said that. I've, I've read that. There's even some cults that say that. That's true. That Jesus believes that, they say that Jesus never mentioned he was God. <laughs> Let me tell you this. This is an interesting moment. If you ever want to find a passage of scripture that Jesus is saying I'm God without actually saying that, this is one of them. Let me explain. In those days, uh, the, the Pharisees communicated to Jesus by calling him teacher. 
in, in, in Greek, it would have been, uh, or Hebrew, it would have been rabbi. They would have called him rabbi. Would have meant, rabbi means teacher. For a rabbi to receive worship or to receive adoration and praise would have been a rebukable offense. If someone would have said, worship, we praise you, we thank you, you're the greatest rabbi, that rabbi would have said, I rebuke you, right? Because it would have been a rebukable offense. Jesus didn't say that at all. Jesus is like, bring it. Listen to what he said in the next verse. He replied, if these people keep quiet, then the stones along the road will burst out into cheers. I love it. This is that passage that if we don't praise him, then the rocks will cry out. It literally means um, the rocks are already praising him, and if we don't join him, they're all that's going to be left. Bless you. I think it's interesting that the word praise here actually comes from the Greek word karadzo. It's where we get the word karazi. Right? So literally, it says that the, the, if you don't worship God, all that's going to be left is a bunch of rocks crazy worshiping him. Hmm. I think it's amazing to me. Like the first time in recorded history, we, we, we see, it almost, feels like, it almost feels like people finally got it. Right? You read this passage of scripture, it almost feels like, like they finally figured it out. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the, he's the one to be worshipped. And you, you ever read this passage and you think to yourself like, what's the big deal? Like they're worshipping him. And then somehow I'm here to tell you this morning that in their worship, it was nothing more than an epic fail. Because they celebrated too early. See, this particular time, it's true that he was the king of kings. It's true he was worthy to be worshipped. It's true he was worthy to be honored at that moment without question. The problem is, is they thought that him coming into town was the, fu- was the fulfillment and the finality of what he was about to do. It was just the beginning, people. It was literally just the beginning of what was about to happen. They were okay with Jesus coming in and being a king on their terms. They were okay with Jesus coming in and feeding us when they ran out of food or healing us when the doctors didn't help. It's interesting, this same group of people, literally, listen to me, the exact same group of people in just a few days would go from shouting Hosanna to shouting crucify him. The same people that would cry out and say, you're God, you're something, you're the one we're looking for, you're the Messiah, would cry out and say, you're no king of mine. You're a a phony. I want nothing to do with you. Kill him. Isn't it amazing how a group of people can go from the euphoria of worship to the depths of hatred in just mere moments? Isn't it amazing how people can go from this euphoric moment of just absolute sold-out, shirt-untucking worship before the Lord to a moment of hatred in just mere moments? Aren't you glad you're not like that? Aren't you glad you don't go from church on Sunday morning to this moment of like, God, you're awesome, to getting mad at the dude that cuts you off on I-5 when you're boarding the freeway. And losing your mind when that person shortchanged you at the check stand and you have to go back to the counter of the customer service and stand in line because how am I taking all of my day? Come on, you know what I'm talking about, right? We can go from this euphoric moment of, of God, you're the greatest, to, oh, I'm so mad, right? See, see, the funny thing is, is we're no different. See, we, we might have we sprained our wrist trying to wave the biggest palm branches back then, too. Mm-hmm. And yet, at the same time, find ourselves shouting just like they did. 
it appears that like everything on schedule, I mean, it's interesting to me. It seems like everything's on schedule. Like, like Jesus is who it seems like he was supposed to be. I mean, it seems like the crowd finally gets it and everyone starts to shout and the Pharisees are uptight, but they were always uptight. So what's the big deal? You see, the fail didn't come in their worship. The fail came in their perception. See, they had a perception of who Jesus really was, but it was incorrect. See, they thought Jesus would come and overthrow the Roman government militarily. They thought Jesus would come in and just, and just go crazy and somehow stake his claim as the ruler right then and there by some sort of a heavy-handed way of overthrowing people. It's amazing to me how quickly we can misread the movement of God in our own lives. See, they misread the moment. They misread the moment. They thought the moment was Jesus coming into the city on a donkey. They thought Jesus, that was it. That was the apex. That was the, the time that Jesus was going to take his place and rightful throne on the king and the throne of David, all of that moment, right? But they misread the moment. They misread the triumphal entry. They misread the move of God in their life. I wonder sometimes if that's happened in our lives. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like, like when you have prayed for God to heal that family member and it didn't happen the way you thought it should. Or the time that you hoped beyond hope that God would, would say yes to the loan or yes to that promotion or yes to the move or yes to this. And each time you, felt, you heard the Lord just kind of come up and either be silent or say nothing. And like them, you misread the moment and said, God, but come on. And maybe even, maybe, and of course not you, would never do this on the outside, but maybe on the inside, you raised up a fist at heaven and said, God, how could you? I remember one time, um, Polly and I, early on, it was, I think it was before we had babies, but we were, uh, our marriage, I remember trying to buy a car. And, and I, I had a car, it was fine, but there was this guy who was telling me, no, no, you're a youth pastor, Lance, you need to have this kind of car. And, and so it was a Volkswagen van, right? Because every youth pastor was supposed to have one. Uh, and, and, and he told me, you've got to buy this, this Volkswagen van, right? If I had it today, it'd be awesome, but nevertheless. I remember feeling like, okay, I guess I'm supposed to buy it. And so I did everything I could. I went to the bank. I went to blah, blah place, talked to family. I mean, I did everything I could to find money to buy this van. It was, it was 2000 I think it was 2500 bucks at the time. And I remember thinking, I, I got to buy this thing. It's from the Lord. You know, I'm buying it from a pastor, no less. Uh, you know, it's a surely from God thing, right? Man, every door I looked at was slamming shut. Like, you shouldn't buy this, Right? But, but instead, in, in me, right, I did what every good, solid Christian would do and forced my way in. Went to my credit card in my pocket and got a big fat cash advance. Bad idea. Everyone say that's a bad idea. <laughs> All of you are like, huh? Let me tell you, it's a bad idea, right? Because your interest rate's super high. What happened? I bought the van in, in like in mere minutes, it seemed like. It wasn't long after that, the thing started breaking down. Ball, bear, ball joints, the, the, I mean, just the transmission. I literally drove the van into a car dealership. Months later, the transmission fell on the ground. And so he goes, I guess you're buying a car today. <laughs> I said, I'm buying one right now because this van's yours, right? So, <laughs> See, sometimes when, sometimes when God says no and we try forcing our way in, we're the one that has to pay that penalty. Can I tell you this? Maybe you're in that spot right now where you've forced an issue 
You forced a relationship. You forced a, a timing of a situation. You forced a job. You, you, I, I could put words about all these things because every one of us qualifies. You forced your way into a moment and you're finding yourself going like, ah, I don't want to have to pay for this. But in a lot of ways, you're, you're, it's the sowing reaping part of our journey, right? Thank God. Let me tell you, if you're in that spot and you feel like you have to pay it off, here's the good news about God's grace. Come to him and ask him for forgiveness now. <laughs> And let his grace cover you and help pay for that doggone thing because it's expensive on your own. Amen. Or oh my, or dear God, or something, right? I'm telling you, oh, it'll get you. They misread the moment. The moment wasn't about Jesus coming in on a donkey. You see, the reason it wasn't about that moment, the reason why it wasn't about uh, the fulfillment of him being the king of kings right then was because the Bible says in Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. See, the completion of the message of what Jesus was wanting to do would take place just a few days later on a cross. See, the whole purpose of Jesus coming into the city was really setting the tone for this whole moment. But nevertheless, how that all played out, this, this, this crowd was just at a frothy place of shouting Hosanna to the moment where another shouting crucify him. And, you know, and I don't know how all that stuff played out, but I can tell you, Jesus had to go to the cross. Can I, and by the way, can I tell you this? Did you know Jesus wasn't murdered? Jesus laid his life down willingly. Jesus wasn't forced into having to be crucified on a cross unwillingly. Jesus willingly gave his life for our sins because God so loved the world that he set his son to do it. And I think what happens is some of us, you could read the story and think like, well, he, he had nothing to do here. Jesus had everything to do here. Jesus set up the donkey ride. Jesus set it all up. He, he was all about this moment because he wanted to communicate, guys, you, you have an idea of who I am. But, but, but don't go halfway. Half victories are not victories at all. Partial victories are not victories at all. The devil would want you to celebrate par partial victories. You know that? The devil would want you to think at halftime when, <laughs> when you're in the lead that somehow you're the ones that win, Atlanta Falcons. Right? At some point, you kind of get this idea that, that somewhere in the journey, you think that three quarters of the game is enough for you. Let me tell you this. You don't win until <laughs> the last buzzer blows, right? Here's what the devil would love. The devil would love you to be somewhat of a good parent. He wouldn't want you to be the best parent or, the, or, or trying your best. He, he would love you to be a mostly good spouse, you know, better than the neighbor, right? He would love you to compare yourself to be a, a fairly good employee. He wouldn't want you to be the best employee that you could be. The enemy would love you to be a pretty good Christian, way better than him or her. See, the devil would want you to compare yourself to the people around you instead of saying, God, I want to line my life up with your word. See, the devil loves partial victories because it takes our foot off the gas. Partial victories get us to lean on our laurels and not really trust in his willingness to give it all to us. The problem with partial victories is you always feel like you're done just before it's time. Hmm. So what's the message for us today. Don't celebrate too soon. See what it is that Jesus has for each and every one of us this week. I, I've said it before, I, I feel like in a lot of ways this week becomes this moment in time that I think we could rush through. You can you could go back to work on Monday and do what you do, which is good for you. You got to get your job done. But th th there's a moment sometimes I think we, we miss this moment because we're going to get to Sunday. We got to get the dress. We got to get the ham. We got to do the thing. 
Can I tell you that if I could just take all of you just for a moment and just say, can you just slow down this week? Just slow down this week as best as possible and begin to mull over and think about what this week is really about. Google the Passion Week. Google whatever you got to do, but slow down and let this week kind of kind of ebb along and begin to see. And why would I want you to do that? Because we'll, we'll, we'll settle for an early, easy victory. We'll, we'll settle for, oh, yeah, 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 Jesus is going to die on the cross, and Easter will be great, and it'll be fun, and we'll move on. And we'll miss the importance of this message. You, you know, remember the, the, the picture. Some of you who are animal lovers may not like the scene, but you, you'll get the weightiness of this. Um, back in those days, there were tens of thousands of lambs that would be sacrificed at the temple during that moment. And the reason of the sacrificial lamb was because it was a, a foreshadowing picture from the Old Testament in the Exodus of Jesus coming as the spotless lamb to die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin. How that would be played out in the Passover celebration that every Jewish person would participate was that every family had to get a baby lamb. And their job in this baby lamb was to care for this baby lamb, to love this baby lamb, to, to whatever this baby lamb they needed to do, bring it to the temple, and then have that baby lamb be sacrificed on behalf of their family. That sounds horrible, right? But, but listen, here's the crazy thing. Remember when the Bible says that Jesus came into the city during this time? In fact, it was during this week. And it says he got mad and he upset the tables. He threw money changers and he threw the tables all over the place and was super angry. And he began to yell about how my house was supposed to be called the house of prayer and you turned it into a den of thieves. Remember that? In that moment, right, let me tell you there's another side of that story that, that went into this. You see, people oftentimes realize that this was a long journey. I mean, imagine taking your whole family on a 10-day hike, right, from Galilee all the way to Jerusalem. And Galilee sat down, Jerusalem was up, so they would ascend to Jerusalem. It was a long hill climb to get to Jerusalem. Now get this, what, what they would do is they would say to themselves, man, it would be easier if all we had to do was put our backpacks on, get a walking stick, and walk. Instead, what they were supposed to do, and what they would do is they'd get to Jerusalem, they would buy a cheap lamb that was there, whether it was set, spotted or not, they were supposed to get a spotless lamb, but they would buy a cheap sacrifice. They would take it to the, the, the priest and say, here's our sacrifice. Sacrifice is on behalf of my family. And they missed the message, right? Because there was no endearing love that that family would have for that animal that they just purchased at the temple. It would be an easy exchange. You would give them money. Here's your lamb. Be done with it. And they might spend just a day with the lamb or if not even hours it. God's plan was that they would get the lamb in Galilee. And for 10 maybe more days, maybe, maybe months, they would get to know the lamb. They would know that this is the spotless lamb. He'd be like a pet to them. They would love him, cuddle him, feed him with a bottle, whatever they did. They would, they would feed him, they would hold him. You couldn't let the lamb walk by himself all the way to Jerusalem because it's a big hill. They'd have to carry the lamb and hand the lamb off to other people. I mean, you, they got to know this lamb like a little pet. And they would bring that lamb to the altar for the priest to sacrifice on behalf of the sin in their lives for their family. Now feel the weightiness of that. Tears would be shed. Hearts would be broken. Kids would be mad. What kind of God? All that stuff would go on because it was an ongoing picture of what God was trying to say to us. The sacrifice was an expensive sacrifice in the blood of Christ for you and me. He was trying to communicate to them, no, my love for you is so deep. It's not some sort of a cheap uh, religious thing that happened on some sort of a 
night in Good Friday that would take place so I could raise from the dead. It was nothing like that. It was definitely a difficult moment. This week, I want you to think through stuff like that. I want you to slow the train down a little bit and realize that there are places in my life of burdens that need to be untied so that I can bring them to Jesus, like the donkey that was the beast of burden that was tied up. It had to be untied to be brought to Jesus. You may need to untie it or untie someone else's burdens to have them bring it to Jesus. But let it be done. So here's my challenge for you this week. Take some time. I wrote down three things. Guard your heart, number one. This week, I want you to guard your heart. What I mean by that is this. The Bible says that your heart is the wellspring of life, right? Guard what goes into your heart. Guard what you put in. Guard what comes out. Remember the Bible says out of the overflow of the heart, your mouth speaks. You'll know what's going into your heart if you start <laughs> chopping people up with your words. When that starts to happen, slow it down, ask them forgiveness. Guard your heart. Slow it down. Watch what movies you're watching. Watch what TV shows you're watching. Watch what kind of things that are funny to you. Slow down and begin to say, God, will, will, you, will you help me get ready for this, this moment this next weekend? Number two, remember what he's done for you. Remember, I think if that's one thing we don't do well as a, New Testament Protestant church is remember well. We remember all the bad things we've done, but we don't remember well. Literally, what I mean by that is to meditate. We get to meditate. Sometimes people think, I, I'm not a good meditator, Pastor. I'm a horrible, I don't know how to meditate. I'll, I'll put it with you this way. Remember when Pastor Steve came up here and he was talking about tithing and he said, use your trust muscles? Let me tell you that when you use muscles in your body and you work them out a lot, they grow bigger. Listen, if you know how to worry you know how to meditate because it's the same muscle. Let me get that, get that right. Worry and meditation use the same muscle group. Why? You know what worry is, right? Worry is thinking about something over and over and over and over and over. You can't sleep. It's over. over. You just keep thinking about it. You're worrying. Meditation is the same thing. You think about it over and over and over. What do I want you to think about? Think what he's done for you. Reflect on his mercy. Reflect on his grace. Reflect on the fact that you have burdens that need to be untied and given to him. Guard your heart. Remember what he's done for you. And number three, prepare a place. Prepare a place in your heart for this weekend. There's nothing magic about Sunday, Easter Sunday. There's nothing magic about it, but there's something that's going to take place. And I'm pretty, I'm pretty convinced that when we prepare our hearts, God always meets us. So if you come just all flustered and flurried and you get to Sunday and that's fine, but I'm telling you, if you could take some time to prepare your heart, you might see God show up in a really significant way that's different. So this week, guard your heart, remember what he's done and prepare a place. I remember walking home that day from the schoolyard and the, the, the football bus drove by me. And, and you know, in, in reality, the bus probably drove by at normal speed and it only took a second or two to get by me. But in my older man's mind's eye, I looked back and it was as if the school bus was driving in slow motion <laughs> and all the football players were staring at me as I was crying, right? Big, big, tough Lance crying because I didn't get a play because my pants were dirty. Because I celebrated too soon. And I think following the rules applied to me I felt like I was bigger than the issue. I hated that moment. To this day, it still scars a place in my heart. 
but I'm thankful. I'm thankful for that disappointment because it reminds me of not celebrating too early. It reminds me to slow down and, and, and get all the message that I'm supposed to get and not rush past it into some sort of a cheap, flippant, cavalier issue. This week, I want you to take some time and really say, God, show me what you're saying for me. So this Sunday coming up, can I, I want to challenge you with a couple things. Three services this weekend coming up. There's going to be one at 8, 9, 30, and 11. I would love it if you could come to the 8 o'clock service because there's just going to be a lot of people. In fact, this weekend, I think it's going to be the biggest services we've ever had. I just have this sense in my heart. So come early. But here's my challenge for you. When you come at the 8 o'clock service, park across the street. Over on the other side of Fox Hollow, there's a parking lot over there, a warehouse. They let us park there during Easter. Park your car over there and, uh, I don't know, Drop your family off first, then park over. Do the best you can. If you can't, you can't. That's fine. But, but I'll just tell you, right? Make room for guests. And if you come to early one and say, well, I was here at 8, and there was plenty of parking, you're going to realize if you stick around for the next service, you're taking up a spot, right? So come to one, serve at another. There's going to be plenty of people, to places to serve and to come. I just would love you to see Jesus do something really significant in the lives of people. People are going to get saved this weekend. People's lives are going to be turned right side up. So come and be ready. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for examples of people that did it wrong so that we can learn how to do it right. God, I think about this passage and I think about how, how many directions that we could go and I think you want to ride into our lives, each of us too. I get that. Lord, but I also don't want to celebrate without the blood being shed on a cross. That's what you did. I pray today for my friend who's here who's never surrendered their life to Jesus. I pray that that person would yield their life to God today and say, Jesus, I give you me because I need this salvation that you're offering. The person that's walked with you for a long time but walked away, I pray that they would just come back and just surrender all over again. Say, Jesus, I'm back. I need you. Thanks for your grace. Pray for people this next weekend to find you. Salvation moment. Save them, God. It's your call. We're just going to invite our friends and watch you do the work. Have your way. In Jesus' name. Amen.